This is Karen Hunter, and welcome to The Hub. We got reinforcements today on Wellness Wednesday. We have, uh, of course, Tanya Pinkins coming to us from the sunny, beautiful, hammocked place called Panama. Red Pill extraordinaire, producer, director, actress, Broadway diva, Tony Award winning, all of that. She's here. And also, not to be outdone, she is, uh, I'm going to get into whether it was Miss America. Yes, it was Miss America. Miss America, she's a doctor too, veterinarian. We're going to get into all of that as well as a personality. I just saw her on a documentary recently being a, a you know, journalist. I was like, what's going on here? Why are you on this? But we're going to talk about that today. Let me welcome back to the show, Dr. Debbie Turner-Bell. Hey, hey. Hey. <laughs> Hi. Thanks for coming, both of you. Good to see you. Thanks for having us. Just a point of contention, or uh, just want to make distinction, because I remember when uh, Kenya Moore uh, first came on to the Atlanta Housewife uh, space, um, mm-hmm. what's her name, kept calling her Miss U- Miss America or something, and she's act- she was mm-hmm. actually Miss USA, because Correct. Miss America, you need to have talent. Not to say that she doesn't, because right now, <laughs> Dancing with the Stars, she's amazing. I'm not watching that either, but I'm hearing, I'm seeing the clips that she's apparently killing it, so she can dance. That's one of her talents, and she also can act because she's definitely acting on that housewife show. But the difference between Miss America and Miss USA is the talent and scholarship part of it. Is that correct? That's exactly right. Yes. And if the truth be told, I won't give you a history of Miss America. Miss America is the oldest pageant in the country. It was the first uh, national pageant. And we're celebrating our 100th anniversary this year. And so, yes, talent, scholarship, and a private interview are what distinguishes the Miss America candidates from the Miss USA candidates, which go on to Miss Universe. That's all the same, USA to Universe. Okay, now yeah. you came after Vanessa, uh, not, oh God, not Vanessa. Yes. Yeah, Vanessa I came Williams. after Vanessa, yes. Right, because yep. there was another mm-hmm. black woman that was the runner up that year, whose name Correct. escapes me. But Suzette she was the, Charles. Thank you, Suzette And she was the first black Miss America that, you know, then the, the penthouse pictures came out and then that was done, but that didn't hurt her career. And even Vanessa Williams is an icon and a diva. So, yes, absolutely. One could argue that might have helped, but I won't get go there. Are you the second black Miss America in the, in the, I'm the, in the world? I'm the second to win the title. To win. Because outright. Vanessa's, yeah, because Vanessa's runner up was also African American. She, of course, stepped in. So I'm the third to hold it, but the second to win it. Now, as a black woman or a black girl growing up in the South, you grew up in the South, right? Yes, I did. Yes. What, what, is, what was the aspiration to become Miss America? Why was that important? And now looking back, because I was 1990, looking back, do you feel differently about that pursuit now? Would you encourage young I, I, black girls now? Yeah, I had no aspiration to become Miss America. When I was growing up, uh, I'm I'm older than than you, uh, and probably Tanya. But certainly back in those days, there were no girls that looked like us competing in the pageants, or very few. So it wasn't that relatable to me. It was something fun to watch, but I didn't aspire to it. I was a, a science geek. I wanted to be a veterinarian, uh, so wasn't interested in pageants at all. I ended up in the Miss America pageant because I found out it's the largest source of scholarship for women in the world. And it would help pay for this very expensive uh, education that I wanted that I knew my family could not afford. Uh, 
And mm -hmm. that's how I got into it. It was in the Miss America system for years and still didn't aspire to be Miss America because you win scholarship all along the way. You know, first runner up comes with some scholarship, talent winner comes with some scholarship. So I was banking uh, money for my education even without winning the big title. And uh, you didn't ask me this, but I'll just tell you, uh, someone said to me, you know, Debbie, if you stop fooling around and actually get serious about this, you might be able to win the whole thing. Uh, and that kind of ignited the competitive juices in me. And I'm like, oh, well, let's see what can happen if I get serious about it. Uh, and then, you know, it, it went from there. And by the grace of God, uh, it all worked out. And I'm glad that I did it. It changed my life. I would be spaying dogs in Arkansas somewhere, which is a very noble noble life and, and profession. Uh, but it opened up literally the whole world to me. Uh, and I'm really grateful for that. Um, you know, it's a, it's a whole different world now than it was 32 years ago when I won. Um, so, you know, it's just pageants hold a different space in society than they did back then. So it's hard to look back because it's comparing apples to oranges. But uh, it certainly happened by the grace of God. It changed my life in some wonderful ways. I still have to fight against stereotypes of what people think a pageant winner is. Um, thankfully, I'm not blonde because that would just reinforce them. Um, but uh, it was a good thing in my life. You can be blonde anytime you want because we're free like that. I we're know free. that's right. As, as I like to say, I can buy it or diet, whatever I want to do. That's all. You did <laughs> end up going on to become a veterinarian. You did yes. go to medical school. You did go on to become a doctor. That's correct. Yeah. I was actually a senior in veterinary school when I won the Miss America pageant. So I was doing some crazy multitasking back then. Uh, and thankfully, the University of Missouri College of Veterinary Medicine was very supportive. They allowed me to take a year leave of absence so I could uh, fulfill my duties as Miss America. Uh, and then I came back after that year and finished the last six months of veterinary school. What was the best part of, you said it opened up the world to you. What are some of your favorite memories? Ooh, Tanya. Well, there's so many of them. Uh, two that immediately come to mind. Of course, that year, back then, the Miss America was the second highest rated live TV show uh, on the air. So everybody watched it. Everybody knew who I was. And, you know, I got this um, year of fame, if you will. And so that was fun because I got to meet the president and I got to meet all the, you know, the celebrities, anybody who was anybody that year. That was cool. But, um, my most favorite part, I was the first Miss America to have what they called back then a platform or an issue, a cause to champion. And I chose a platform called Motivating Youth to Excellence because here I was, this little brown-skinned girl from Jonesboro, Arkansas, growing up in a single-parent, lower-middle-class home, and I had none of the, the statistics that would make somebody believe I could come, become Miss America. And so I wanted to tell young people across the country, it doesn't matter where you start, it doesn't matter what you look like, uh, it doesn't matter what people think about you. If you set your mind to something and work at it hard enough, long enough, you can see your dreams come true. So I got to speak to young people all over the country and that for me was it was the most fun because you know young folk are just hilarious they don't let you get away with fronting or you know or faking it uh, they're gonna go right to the hardest stuff so that was fun I didn't have to live up to the uh, the you know the ivory tower image of Miss America they just want to know if I was authentic mm. uh, so that probably was my favorite part of being Miss America Wow. Um, and all of this can be read in Courageous Faith. 
She's got a book out. She was here last time talking about the book. Yes. And I was like, there's so much more I want to talk with Debbie about that. <laughs> she needs to come back. And then we need to just spend more time because, you know, in these spaces, we, we have like this kind of like um, soundbite. This is the yes. way news is soundbites, little clips here. and mm-hmm. um, But the lessons are learned through the conversations, through through the, the deeper dives into people. Because we, you know, we all have lived experiences that we can learn from. You can write about mm-hmm. it. Some people are going to read, and that's great. But to also have the mm-hmm. conversation to inform why you should be reading Courageous Faith is also, I think, amazing and super important. Um, Debbie Thank Turner you. Bell is here, of course, Tanya Pinkins. Uh, I saw a, a documentary on Faith and Fat. I can't remember mm-hmm. the name of it. It was on, uh, what the hell was it on? Um, it was HBO, on uh, HBO, Max? HBO. HBO yes. Max. Yes. And it was a woman <laughs> with really big hair. Just weirdly, wildly big, big, mm-hmm. not like Tammy Faye big, but differently big. And there was one made scene, Tammy Faye's hair look small. It was ridiculous. The hair and <laughs> it was a ministry around women losing weight and mm-hmm. uh, just getting people to come to church. But it was like a cult. And there was a just one scene where you're you're like reporting on it. I was mm-hmm. like, That's Debbie Turner Bell. <laughs> She's out there reporting on this. How'd she get into this documentary? Did you know you were going to be in it like that? I had no, I had no idea. As you both know, you know, I I don't own that footage. CBS owns uh, my uh, image and likeness during those years I worked for them. So I'm sure they licensed that uh, piece of footage. But I remember, I remember doing this story. Uh, And the only reason I know about this documentary is I kept getting text messages. Hey, I see you on a documentary. I'm like, you know, what you talking about? And somebody said that her name is, uh, was Glenn Shamblin. She tragically was killed in a plane accident, a uh, plane crash. But uh, I didn't even remember who that was. So I had to Google to find out. I'm like, oh, I remember that woman. So yeah, she had this program called Way Down, but it was W-E-I-G-H, right. uh, uh, attaching faith to weight loss. Um, and I remember going to one of her so-called Bible studies. I shouldn't say it like that because, uh, you know, people's faith is what their faith is. Um, but going to the Bible study, but it was all around learning how to control one's appetite in order to lose weight. Mm. Um, and I'll just say this, based on my experience, I remember the conversation with my producer and the photographer after we left. You know how, if you've worked in news, you, you talk about the folks that you cover on your way back home. And I remember we were just perplexed by this. I'm like, what is this? So I can't say I'm exactly surprised by the content of the documentary because it was just it was just weird, you know, that you attach being thin with being faithful mm. or being, you know, religious and going to heaven because uh, they, and, they and were the remnant. Heaven. Yeah, that, that well, that's how you got to get through the eye of the needle. <laughs> oh, my God. You're all right. Right. <laughs> I got to ask you this question. You talked about the name and likeness and we've, you know, heard about that with Dave Chappelle and with Prince. Those are the ones we know the most. Do they own your name and likeness into perpetuity? Like, whoa, into for, perpetuity? For that video, for, for the, the creative content that was produced while I was in their employ. Yes, they own that. They own, they own all the rights to it. They can use it however they want for in perpetuity. Yeah. And because wow. I'm not Dave Chappelle or Prince, you know, I didn't have any leverage to negotiate into any of that. I would just have, ooh, CBS wants to hire me. Yeah, I'll sign. Uh, so, yeah, that's all their footage. Uh, uh, the documentary is called The Way, W-A-Y, 
even though her movement yeah. was W-E-I-G-H. The Way yeah. Down, God, Greed, and the Cult of Gwen Shamblin is the name of it. I started watching it, and I stopped watching it because I already knew how it was going to end. It was going to be tragic. Um, but I was, you know, interested in the ways in which uh, Christianity in particular, and maybe even Islam uh, in particular, in the ways in which people are using those and people in power to control and to, you know, direct and to undermine and to um, destroy in many ways people's lives and real freedom, you know, and it's interesting as people fight for their freedoms, but they wrap themselves in the Bible, you know, and it's like, that's antithetical to everything that Jesus came to, you know, bring life and give life abundantly. And, you know, to, for us to find freedom, it's just so weird to me. Uh, how faith is being used right now, particularly white evangelicals. I had a beautiful conversation uh, with this brother, Dante Stewart, who has a book and he talks about being indoctrinated into white evangelical Christianity as a football player at Clemson and how, you know, he said, I, you know, I'm not black. I'm Christian. I'm not black. I'm like, he, he was really, he said, I really bought into, you know, if I'm just, you know, if I follow this way, I can have all of the things and I can be rewarded. And, you know, so I'm just, you know, he would go to church and it was amazing how he, you know, talks about it. But I'm uh-huh. wondering you with your Southern uh, background and your sister, I know whose name is Suzette is married to a, a preacher, you know, a pastor. Uh-huh. Um, and uh-huh. faith is at the core of everything that you do. How do you suss out, you know, and again, yes, we can on some level, you know, you said, I'm not going to judge anybody's walk, but some people's walk is destroying everybody else in, in there. So we should. Say yeah, something. absolutely. I think that, well, I know this, you know, the scripture says that a, 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 a shepherd, a pastor is held responsible for what they teach the mm. flock. Uh, and and that's scriptural. And in, in any pastor worth his salt takes that very seriously. Doubly accountable, seriously. I think is what it says. Doubly accountable. Right. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. And th- and that should be taken very seriously as it relates to, you know, wh- whatever the, the sect, the cult, the movement or something that just seems weird and different. Um, I, this is what I encourage people read the whole Bible front to back, because it's easy to cherry pick and justify anything. Apartheid was built on scripture, you know, um, a pedophilia has been built on scripture in some, you know, religious sects. So you can, you can cherry pick and pull something out and distort it and pervert it and justify anything. Um, but the, there's a scripture that says desire the, the whole uh, uh, meat of the word. And so, you know, putting things in proper context, proper historical context, and also filtered through, um, okay, so I'm just gonna go straight out faith because you asked me a faith question. Um, filtered through what is what does this activity, behavior, movement glorify God? And that's where people get in trouble because they start glorifying big houses or glorifying, you know, uh, a weight size or glorifying an individual. And then that's when you that's when you swerve off the path. Um, but when what we do, what we say, what we teach glorifies God. And since I'm talking about Christianity, it's glorifying God through Jesus Christ. It's hard to mess that up. And so that's how I try to keep uh, my center 
in my faith walk? I'm a deeply spiritual person and I, I want to understand what glorifying God means. Okay. So the word glorify means to make larger, to bring attention to, to reverence. It's all of those. There's many aspects to the word uh, glorify. Um, in our American Western secular uh, society, uh, a similar word would be celebrate. Okay. You know, and we understand that very easily in our society. You know, we, we celebrate actors, we celebrate politicians, we celebrate little league players, right? Glorify is similar in, in that, but there's a deep, deeper, more spiritual component to it. Um, so the, the scriptures tell us that we are created in the image of God. We, we, are, we are created to glorify God by bearing his image being a bearer of love, a bearer of justice, a bearer of holiness, or uh, in your case, Tanya, you know, you're a phenomenal actress, you're a phenomenal performer, a phenomenal singer. And those are just the things I know about you. And I'm sure you're phenomenal at other things. When you walk in excellence in those things that were placed in you, you're glorifying God because he created you. A tree being a beautiful tree is glorifying God because it's glorifying this creator. Does that make more sense to you? Oh, I understand now. I think the way that I uh, speak it is that um, I allow the divine to um, act in, through, and as me. Mm. Okay. I like it. Uh, like all of it, uh, especially when it's rooted in love. Like It's like the Hippocratic Oath you take as a doctor to do no harm. I'm just like, what God are these people praying to? Y'all are harming folk to into the grave. It's just it's really uh disturbing where we are right now. And I um I wanna be optimistic because I know eventually it's all gonna you know, it's gonna be all right. But right now it's just painful to watch, you know, uh so many folk uh, fighting over I don't even know what they're fighting about. I don't even think they know. Politics, vaccines, I mean just everything. Um yeah. so today a uh, 90-year-old man uh, ended up on a space rocket shaped like a penis uh, into space. <laughs> oh, Lord. Did you yeah. see the John, Stewart, the, the John Stewart piece on the rockets all going no, up No, I have not seen it. I'm going to send it to you Okay, that's good. Yeah, I, it's just a giant penis that went, and Bezos, I think, is obsessed. If you look at the Amazon symbol, the little, the little thing looks like a pe- like I think, and then he he got messed up with his wife because of the penis pictures and uh, getting caught with his penis in places that it shouldn't have been. But Bezos is obsessed with penises, I think. Peni, uh, but anyway, ninety year old Captain Kirk blasted off. Another penis reference. Sorry, um, I'm just like that. I'm messy. Up. Oh, okay. So um, thoughts on that? So William Shatner, ninety, made it Star Trek. Uh, guy, and when he when he came back uh, from that atmosphere, he had something to say. I want to play it, and then I want to know your feelings about us utilizing so many dollars for these joy rides into space. Uh, but let's play the the uh, William Shatner clip. It's unbelievable, unbelievable. I mean, you know the, the little things. Are great but to see the blue color. Go, whoop! 
Popeye. And now you're staring into black. That's the thing. The covering of blue, this, this sheet, this blanket, this, com this comforter of blue that we have around us. We think, oh, it's blue sky. And then suddenly you shoot through it all of a sudden. And so you whip off a sheet off you when you're asleep. And you're looking into blackness, into black ugliness. And you look down, there's the blue down there. And the black up there. And it's... It's just, there is mother and earth and comfort, and there's, is there death? I don't know. Is that death? Is that the way death is? Whoop! And it's gone. Chase. It was so moving to me. This experience is something unbelievable. Okay. Thoughts and prayers. Well, first of all, why is black got to be ugly? Uh, that was th that's the first thing I was like. <laughs> I just can't these get past people. That. These people. I, I didn't hear anything else after that, frankly. Okay, all right. <laughs> I I, uh, I feel you. I feel you. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, you know, dark matter is the largest thing in the entire universe. We cannot see it, but we know that dark matter—that is the name of it—the invisible dark matter is that out of which everything was made and um it's it's this languaging of everything like when i went to see the the van gogh at the barnes museum they talked about her as an ugly woman she's a black woman that van gogh did this nude and they they really described her that way in the audio recording for the news and so i don't think that are we going to give him a pass because he's 90 and he doesn't know that it's politically incorrect to say those things uh with William Shatner you got a, a a universal platform from the Star Trek things that you have to be conscious of of that people are looking up to you and some kids might be going out there going oh William Shatner said I'm black is ugly and now I'm gonna see myself in that way yeah why does he get to go uh would either one of you want a ticket on the giant penis to space no why not why not it seems like people are, are, are signing up for this like it's a waiting list well, first of all, I'm all about staying in the cut and letting a bunch of folk do it so they can work the kinks out, you know, so I don't, I don't really ever want to be the test pilot. Well, you know, and you know, I'm not that person. I have skydived. I have bungee jumped. So I'm all about an adventure, but um, I don't know. That is not something that, that, that calls to my spirit. I don't see what would be the excitement of it, except for the view, the view like yeah. the view. that's the only yeah. thing that would be exciting about it and i think it would be really exciting the whole the whole i mean the the physics and the science and the math that goes into making that possible is intensely interesting to me um what makes it a hard pass for me is the risk the the risk is not worth i don't think the the reward a couple of seconds uh, of yeah right yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I have this little saying, I've said it since I was a teenager, there, there are some ways to die that are dumb and unavoidable. And so, you know, th that's to me, unless you're really pushing, you know, scientific boundaries, like the Apollo cruise, that's something different. But to go for a joy ride, that's a dumb way to die, in, in my humble opinion. And I figure he was 90. So death is inevitable. And I'm gonna go at some point, if I could like spontaneously combust and that's how I go, it would be fine. Like I'm not worried about dying. It's going to happen. I want to have as an exciting a life while I'm here. Same, yeah. but I'm I want to be here. That, Tanya. Yeah. I want to be here. I want to be every years. day I'm supposed yeah, to be. That's here. what I'm saying. I want to be here as long as possible. I got things to do. 
Uh, that I don't think that I can stop that. I think that I'm just that, that what is my destiny is going to happen. Like that's what my faith is that I'm here to do certain things. And so whatever happens to me, I try to embrace it and celebrate it and know that it's part of my destiny because I cannot fulfill my destiny. Like that is to me, that's what the divine is. The divine has a destiny for me and I can fight it or I can celebrate it even when it doesn't look pretty. But I don't think it wants you to bungee jump and fall to your death. I don't think that's on, on the list. Well, but, I didn't fall to my death. So I know, I'm just my... saying. So that wasn't your destiny. <laughs> I'm just going to say, is it so spontaneous? spontaneous it it, it might have been. You know, a friend of mine's kid just died skydiving last week. So, oh, you know, yeah. it happens. I mean, Tanya, I agree with you. I do believe that we all have an appointed number of days. And when we've lived out those days, you know, whether you bungee jump or not, you, you know, your number is up. Um, so I, I do think that's true, but I, I don't want to help it along. I just say it like that. Same. I was going to uh, move on to something more pleasant, but since we're in this William Shatner space, I feel I would be remiss if I didn't not talk about Nichelle Nichols. Uh, shout out to her. Um, and she's actually reportedly suffering from dementia because I'm thinking Ahura should have definitely gotten a ticket if you're going to send somebody to space. The first black woman on that uh, Star Trek Enterprise should have uh, been on the list. Um, but I'm just I just wanted to just tell a little bit about where she is right now. Um, and there's a battle over her conservatorship uh, because of her mm. uh, diminishing um, capacity uh, between her son um, her only child, Kyle Johnson, uh, between him and her manager, her former manager, who I think lives in the property that she has. She's now moved to, I think, Arizona with her son and his wife and children uh, and her friend, a friend, uh, Angelique Fawcett. I don't know if you know this story. Tanya, I think you know the story. Uh I'm not even, I shouldn't even ask Tanya because Tanya, when she knows it, she's going to tell everybody. Anyway, Nichelle Nichols is 88. Ask her, I'm going to ask her. Okay. All right. No, I don't know the story. I don't know the story. Do you know Angelique Fawcett? Mm -mm. Okay. All right. All right. All right. Well, I mean, this is sad. We were just fighting for Britney's freedom and, um, this iconic woman, uh, first, as I mentioned, the first black person, if you are into sci-fi, you got to see somebody who looks like you in a horror, uh, Nichelle Nichols. And uh, she had a relationship with Martin Luther King. I mean, just an amazing uh, human being who now is having her, you know, and, and I say this on a Wednesday because so many people are in situations with parents who are aging. Uh, some people are aging and, and, you know, maybe in the space of Alzheimer's or dementia and people are coming in family members, just because somebody's related to you by blood doesn't mean that that's the best person to take your, take over your estate. I want to say that just because you are somebody's child doesn't mean that you may have their best interests in mind. Uh, and I, I just feel like, you know, this is something we don't talk enough about in the black community. And unfortunately when somebody passes, there's, like battles and fights and things that have not been hashed out. And we should take some time, not just to write our wills, not just to make sure that our estates are in order, you know, in our forties and fifties, you know, because tomorrow's not promised to anybody, you know, before you get to 80, 90, you want to make sure that everything is in place. Uh, but it's just sad. Uh, the battle o over money that you didn't work for, this woman worked her life to have an estate to fight over. And now people who, you know, didn't contribute to it, you know, cause just cause mm -hmm. you're somebody's child, anything, you might've been a burden for most of that. I'm just saying, I'm saying this out loud. Um, well, I just feel I bad. I think a lot about this stuff. I think that the, the fear of death 
is, is, you know, what that's rooted in. Like I am planning for my death. Like, how do I want it to look? Who do I want to, who do I want to be there? I know I want an easy out. I know I want to um, divest myself of things before that time so that my children aren't left to have to manage a whole bunch of stuff that I accumulated. And, you know, even to the point of me, you know, deciding that if there's certain sorts of incapacities that happen to me, I want to have the ability to choose that easy out when I want to choose that easy out. I don't want my uh, life or death in anyone else's hands. Mm. I think about when, when did you I start doing that? that because you're you know you're still relatively young I'm 59 but you know people are getting you know Alzheimer's at 70 and and completely incapacitated um I think that it started with my midwife when I delivered my um fourth child who's now 22 because she's a, a Catholic mystic nun and she's Cherokee wait, and pa- so wait, pa- pause time but there's always <laughs> All right. Your midwife was a Catholic mystic nun? Yes. Okay. How do, how does one find a Catholic mystic I don't even know what a Catholic mystic nun is. I mean Yeah, I, let's start there. There's a whole <laughs> tradition in the Catholic in the Catholic religion of of myth, mystic nuns that you'd have to read about that is very different from what we think of as Catholic church as it is advertised in the world. So there's a a whole mysticism practice that you have to actually get deep into the practice of Catholicism, which she's been a nun for 20 years to do. So I met her in Mexico. She was there doing her year of selfless service. She said she could not be my, my, my midwife because she was there doing selfless service. And I was like, whatever, you're going to be my midwife. Um, and afterwards she realized that she had in fact been, been my midwife. And then I continued to travel to the Ozarks to work with her. And part of the practice of working with her is working on soul work. That's what we do. What is your soul work? And what is the, the, the nature of what your soul is going to do in this eternity that is life? And so for her to be my midwife, she said, I need to know that if you don't get a good outcome, how will you go on? So it was this beginning of practicing and preparing. What if your baby dies? How will you go on? Because I won't with you if you have not prepared to go on. And so that has become a discipline in all my life, like preparing oneself to go on no matter what the outcome is and to remove an attachment to outcomes, even in the spiritual practice of manifesting that which I desire. Okay. All right. So do you have all of this written down? how you want all of those things? Is it, is it an actual physical document? Um, there's a, there's a will document, but the other things, no, they're not written down because no one else would exercise those things. They are things that I have to do. So okay. materials that I have to have and things that I have to do for myself, they're not to be executed by any other person. Debbie, what, what is, do you have a plan? You know what? I'm ashamed to say that I don't, and I no, should. No, no shame. I, I, you're not alone. I, every day, I've, I've caught, I have, you know, somebody that I'm working with right now on my finances and everything, and mm-hmm. it's on the, it's on the list every month we meet. And I, <laughs> yeah, I just hired a new uh, uh, attorney, entertainment attorney, and and he's on a crusade because you know it's it is a cultural thing throughout the African American community that we don't plan for end of life 
we, while we're still living in incapacitated and what happens to our property. So, you know, after we talked about the contract that I hired him to help me with, he's like, you know, do, do you have a will? Do you have a, a power of attorney and, you know, living will, all these things. And I was like, I know I need them. I want to have them. I'm not against them. I'm not superstitious, you know, to not talk about that stuff is just, I keep putting it farther back behind, you know, the line. I'm like, Ooh, I, I need to eat pie. I'll do that later. Uh, so I, I know I need to prioritize it because I've lived through both situations. My mother died young at 55, unexpectedly, mm -hmm. uh, and she did not have a will. And my sister and I spent two years in probate court. And I wouldn't, I wouldn't wish that upon anybody. It's, you know, it's a hard uh, uh, process to go through. And thankfully, she and I got along. We didn't fight over anything, but it was still awful. And then uh, my grandmother lived with, she outlived her daughter. My mom lived with me the last seven years of her life. And I insisted having gone through the probate process because of my mom, that she have a living will, power of attorney, as well as, uh, as a will. And it just made all the difference in the world. So I, I don't want to do that to my daughter. Um, I just need to prioritize it. I, I want to say that I have a lot of octogenarian friends. And so I asked them, what's your, what's your plan? How do you want to go? And uh, some of the things that I've learned from my friends who are in their 80s is, um, I don't know if you all know that movie, I Care A Lot, which is about the probate industry and how, you know, you can lose custody of yourself if a doctor and a judge decide you don't have it. And so what some of my friends uh, talk about is that they have created their own group of people who do their care to prevent that from happening. Mm. So they have a person who comes in and checks on them once a week to make sure their faculties are still working. Um, they have set all of those things, someone who comes in to do the finances and the paper so that they've created their own in-home thing um, in preparation for what is inevitable. That's so smart. All right, we're going to talk more. We got callers. Let me take one call before we go to break. Debbie Turner Bell, Dr. Debbie Turner Bell is here. I want to talk to you about animals too uh, okay. later on in the show. And of course, Tanya Pinkins is here. Let's take, uh, let's see, uh, Marty in South Carolina. Welcome to the Karen Hunter Show. Hey. Hi. Hi, Karen. Hi, Marty. And your guest. Hey. Hi. My first time calling. Calling from Hilton Head yeah. Island, South Carolina. I love Hilton Head. My Geechee Gullah hey. folk. Welcome. Well, thank you. We just moved here about a year ago, and we love it. Um, and we're new retirees, my husband and I. And the, the topic that you're speaking on is right on, because as a people, we do need to make sure we have our things in order, our business in order. And it does not matter whether you are a person of means or not. If you own something, whether it's a vehicle, because on that you know, on your title, if they ask you on upon death, where do you want your car to go? Who do you want your car to go to? Uh, whether you own a house, those properties need to make you make make sure they're in order so you're not in probate, or that mm -hmm. you know, so those things are in order. So it does not matter um, whether, like I said, you're of means or not. My father-in-law, when he passed, he had everything in order, and he began to do that more so when his wife passed years ago, and. You know, my grandparents as well. But you have to make sure that we have we have to talk about this more. And there are resources, um, local resources in all of your cities for, you know, that discussion of starting a wheel and the different directions you want to go with your wheels um, and living wheels and all of that. 
So mm-hmm. I just encourage I encourage our people to to get engaged with that, and it's a hard discussion to have, but it has to be done because we know that we're not here forever. Facts. Well, welcome to the call-in family, Marty, and, and congratulations on your your move to Hilton Head and your retirement. I hope you really enjoy. Uh, that time kicking your feet up uh, 866-801-8255 we're going to stick around when we come back we're going to talk more with of course Debbie Turner Bell and Tanya Pinkins but let me tell y'all when it comes to socks mm-hmm. the most comfortable socks in the history of feet I'm talking about Bombas there's you got to get many pairs uh, and there's one reason why I love them of course they're soft and they're amazing uh, but the other reason I love Bombas is because they started making socks, but then they learned that, you know, the most requested item in homeless shelters, socks, clothing. So then they decided to give a pair every time you buy a pair. And now they're gone from making socks to making underwear and shirts as well. So guess what? Every pair of Bombas underwear, T-shirts, or the socks that you purchase, somebody in the homeless shelter will get the exact same um piece of item of clothing so go ahead and buy a whole bunch this is the holiday season too so who doesn't need socks listen um and uh get this bombas customers they've just donated more than 50 million 50 million items of clothing that's 50 million brand new pairs of socks underwear and shirts have been given to folk in need and this is what we're about here so head over to bombas.com slash hunter that's b-o-m-b-a-s dot com slash hunter 20 percent off your first order so get 10 10 somethings at bombas.com slash hunter and if you're looking for a job those of you who are out there looking for a job don't you don't need to be anxious you don't need to be worried you don't need to fret uh because zip recruiter they have you they made it really easy to look for a job so in fact you go to ziprecruiter.com slash easy and create a free profile then you get matched to great jobs, plus a whole lot more. ZipRecruiter will proactively pitch your profile to employers whose jobs match your experience. And unlike some of these other job sites, if an actual person from the company really likes what they see, they can personally invite you to apply to their job. Plus, if you like the job, you can apply to it and many others with just one click. It's that easy. No wonder ZipRecruiter is the number one rated job site in the United States. So sign up for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash easy today and experience the better way to find a job. Once again, ZipRecruiter.com slash easy. Sign up now. It's free. And put ZipRecruiter to work for you. We'll be back. Hey, this is Karen Hunter. Follow me on my YouTube channel at Karen Hunter Show. Subscribe, like, and share. Caesar, the queen of gospel, um, turns 83 today. Happy birthday, Mama Shirley. Uh, Remember, Mama is that song. Welcome back to the hottest show in the galaxy. Today's uh, Changemaker is brought to you by, it's uh, Wellness Wednesday, of course, brought to you by Better Health. And our Changemaker today is Dr. Herman, uh, Herman Kennedy, who was the first psychologist to study how the race of a test proctor can create bias in IQ testing. He was a psychologist uh, who studied that. And, um, of course, we know that there are biases. And who who even determines whether a person's smart or not by a test? Anyway, we're here. 
Tanya Pinkins is here, of course. Uh, Dr. Debbie Turner Bell is here as well. And um, I'm going to ask you about pets, but we have like a bunch of callers and I want to get to them as well. So let's uh, head Uh back over to the phones. They want to say some things. Uh, Let's go to Norm. Norm's been holding on for a while since the top. Norm in Tampa, Florida. Hi. How you doing, uh, Karen? I just wanted to, and how are you doing your guests and and stuff? And uh, I just realized, is this Debbie Turner Bell? Oh, right? Yeah. Yes. Hello? Yes. Oh, oh, this yeah. is always dad, grandfather. I just wanted to point that out to you. <gasps> oh uh, my gosh! Yeah. Hi. <laughs> How you doing? I'm talking. I'm doing very well, thank you. How are you? Okay. <laughs> okay. You never know it's who's a listening. small world. It really yeah. is. Uh, yeah. Anyway, uh, but I, I was curious because you know you talk about technology. You know, every bit of, of you know, you look at you, you, I mean, it's, it's kind of criticized. You know, um, William Shatner for going out of space, but that show inspired a lot of us to, and a lot of people to develop technology and, and those sort of things and stuff. So you never know that whatever. I'm just kind of like, why you said we spend this money uh, to send folks up and down in space, but what happens is, is there's a, a residual that comes out of these sort of uh, endeavors that, you know, that 10, 15 years from now, people were developing. Maybe my little girl Zoe will one day want to be a, an engineer or so and work on projects that are inspired from that very same development. I mean, if you look at it that way, then going up to space is, is a uh, is an is an important function in terms of continuing uh, life on this planet. I, I don't disagree with that, um, Norm. And again, um, I just question the billions of dollars that are spent to do a joyride. You know, as, as Debbie said earlier, you know, there've been missions that have been with a purpose to, you know, we got these satellites and there's so many things advances this. I don't know what it advances, uh, but maybe you can enlighten me if, if there's an advancement from William Shatner going to space today, uh, something that 10 years from now, we'll all be like, yeah, I'm glad that happened. I, I don't know. I don't think so though. Uh, and the fact that he's 90 and so virile, I'm, I'm not, uh, you know, I'm, I'm happy about that. That's inspirational. How do we know he's virile? Well, he, he looks virile. You know, I'm, I'm saying it in the <laughs> overall general sense, but he did go up in a rocket that looks like a penis. So maybe that also informs where everything is going with him as well. I don't, it was very. Doomed. I'd love to do the training to go up there. Like all that training they put you through to deal with the gravity and the G force and all of that. I'd love to do all that. Somebody out there listening can do that as a, um, like, as a workout. You know, they have all these different workouts now, pole stripping workouts and all these space workouts. I think that would be really popular. I'd like to see that. I think it's coming. I think it's coming. Here's a question I have. We were talking about death, but who wants to live forever? I don't. I want a good 120 years healthy with all my limbs working. Because I have the books to read that I want to read. And then I have things I want to impart after I read the books. So I just want the time to be able to build the institutions in my mind in real life. And I just think it requires time. And I think we waste a lot of time, but then we don't have enough because this life is really short. So. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'd like to be, if I lived, I'd love to live to be a hundred, but I want to be of sound mind and body, you know, not be a, a burden to, the society or my family 
Yeah. Something that Tanya said about not leaving her children with, with a whole lot of stuff to have to deal with. And I think, you know, who thinks like that? But this is how we should be thinking. I didn't even think about the car. Like, what what do I do with my car? You know, like, who do I leave my car to? Like, those things we should be thinking about. And thank you for putting And that all that stuff you got stored in your basement in boxes that for later, for later, for later. My mother had like a couple tons of stuff in the basement. What did you do with it? Well, you know, she had lost my Tony Ward was somewhere down in there. And we we tried to go through there to find it and we couldn't. And I have awards that they're just lost forever. I was able to get a replacement Tony. We 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 got rid of a lot of it, but we did not get rid of it all. We were not. I mean, it was 50 years she lived in that house. So there was 50 wow. years of stuff. And we had a full basement. That was hold the, the hold on. You gave your Tony to your mama? I did. And then she put it somewhere and nobody could see it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay. She wouldn't have sold it on eBay, would she? I don't think so. My mother was, you know, suffered from mental illness. And so oh, okay. she, I gave it to her because she had the mantle and all that stuff. And she could display it and talk to her friends. But all of those awards I won that year, which was about four, Outer Critics Circle, Drama Desk, Clarence Derwent. Oh, wow. Gone. Oh, that's a shame. But we know yeah. you won them, though, because you did that damn thing. Tanya Pinkus is here. Uh, little small flex, which we absolutely are here for, y'all. That's right. This this is such an accomplished panel today. I'm, like, sitting back just smiling. Cherie, uh, Sherry, I'm sorry. Sherry in California, welcome. Sherry. Oh, I'm a long-time listener and a first-time caller. Been waiting to say that. <laughs> Smith. Yeah. Smith. Yeah. Well, come on oh no there it is okay yeah, i almost it. said it sound different uh when i'm listening to other people but so my question is this for um dr debbie so okay. i <clears throat> my mom has dementia i have two siblings my mom has an ex-husband that she hasn't been with in 15 plus years but they haven't gotten divorced so we're thinking way too late about getting a power of attorney and all that. My question is, what do we do in this particular situation? Ooh, now I am not at all a legal expert. So that, that is yeah, uh, punching way above my weight. I'm, I, I would say, you know, be thinking about this and, and asking the question is the, verse, the first step, but I'm probably not the best person to ask that question of. And locally, I think we should all, you know, kind of find people who are expert in this. You know, it's it's interesting. In publishing, a lot of times celebrities will get their their lawyers that handle their acting contracts or whatever, their singing contracts. But publishing is a different, like you need a lawyer that is specific to wills and estates. Uh, don't get your, you know, your friend that's a general lawyer to do something that is, you know, people have expertise in areas for a reason. Uh, so we should find somebody who's expert in that, not just a general lawyer, because general lawyers make hell for specific things because they're looking for stuff that they don't know the content. And this is not legal advice, but it's just a fact that I know from being married. If they were married for 10 years, he's going to get half of her Social Security. Facts. Even in California. Um, even in California, all over the country, or ten years of marriage, you get half of the social security. Goals, y'all. Goals, things to to <laughs> consider. Uh, Rico Suave in Illinois, welcome. 
Hi, hey. Karen. Hey. Hi, and things are better for me. Now, I talked to you last time. You said yeah. I was a little bit, uh, I, you couldn't, uh, I was a little upset, but I'm doing good. And I, what I was trying to say, Karen, is that you know, she was talking about these estates. You have to have some kind of estate attorney. Um, and it, what um, and people need to set that up. I, I think that that's something that every family has to discuss. If you look at Stuart Scott, he had a lot more money than we did, and he had an estate, and it's all messed up. Yeah, I mean, Aretha Franklin didn't have her. I'm, Aretha Franklin did not have her estate together. They, they're going to be hanging. Prince, how does Prince leave this earth and, and not have everything? You think somebody that you know, that big of a genius would have everything lined up. But I guess you you don't think you're going to leave here that early. I think people don't want to think about death. They think that, I think there is a superstition around it. I, 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 you know, I think that there's a superstition around it. And people think that if I think about it, I might, I might call it to me, something yeah. like that. Yeah. But um, I, you know, I don't feel that way. I think about it all the time. Um, and yeah. Okay. All right. Uh, yeah, and I, I think a lot of people don't. With Miss Franklin and her home, I did a commercial with her about thirty years ago. She didn't fly, so they had to bring the commercial to her and shoot it in her house. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Only Miss Franklin. No, I was just gonna say. I think a lot of people think they're gonna live a lot longer than they actually do. You know, they just don't think that it's going to be an issue at you know at the time of their demise. They think they have time. I think that's that's a lot of it now. Yeah. Well, I lived with a terminal diagnosis for six years, and I'm going to say it's one of the best things that ever happened to me because the doctors were like, you could die at any moment if you don't do what we tell you to do. And I was like, well, I'm not going to do what you tell me to do because the options that you tell me of what you want to do to me, what that could cause, I would rather be dead than have any of those possibilities. And so for six years, um, they were like, any minute now, it could just happen. And I was like, okay, I'm ready. And oh, so you come to a that's a why you can bungee jump. You've already you, oh, no, I bungee jumped long before. All, all right, that. but this, I'm saying your mentality eight years. I had done all the bungee jumping and stuff long ago when I was younger, but I'm saying this was in the last eight years of my life. I didn't have that surgery until 2018 when I finally met a doctor who I was like, okay, you know what you're talking about. The rest of these people they sound crazy to me.